Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex. Uh, we're down to our final double header for the season. The season's winding down and as we keep saying, it's almost like going through the motions now given the state of the championship. So today, of course, talking about the U US Grand Prix. We're back in Austin, four races to go. We've got the Digest as well, go over all the news from the week and do some supercars talk as well because we've got Gold Coast, the final enduro round as well this weekend. So so, Baden, first of all, let's see how you went with your marathon check-in after that. Still feeling a bit sore, as you were saying. But, yeah, overall, I guess, given the conditions on the day, probably not the result you were hoping for. Oh, it's hard to believe as well. It's that Thursday, just a blink of an eye. It feels as though it never occurred, pretty much like this Formula One season. It's just evaporated, but certainly Sunday presented its challenges and... Not quite the, the new PB, but it is what it is and still came home in one piece with a, a pretty solid time and pulled up pretty well and ha having probably my first proper break from running for more than a couple of days at a time in quite a few years. So it's just been nice to get away from it for a bit. Age is taking its toll, you could say. <laughs> yeah, 27, that's it. And just yeah. a, a grandpa now. Granddad now. But anyway, uh, that's good. That, that all went well. Um, straight into the US Grand Prix then. Four races to go. It's our final doubleheader. And also the first mathematical chance um, for the title to be sealed this weekend. So Lewis Hamilton could win the championship this weekend if he outscores Seb Vettel by eight points. So if Lewis wins and Seb is third, for example, um, Lewis will be crowned champion. And he has won the title before in Austin a couple of years ago, that crazy wet weekend in 2015 where Nico Rosberg uh, showed his desperation but was unsuccessful in delaying the inevitable. And Hamilton, I guess it's all about Lewis in Texas because last four wins he's claimed here. He's won five out of six races here. Um, and 2013 was that only time where Sebastian Vettel was able to win in that dominant Red Bull. So it's really hard seeing someone else take Lewis down here this weekend. And please, for everyone's sake, can Hamilton put us out of our misery? It's like shooting Bambi here. We just want it to be over. And then we can have a clear conscience and think, oh, there's nothing on the line for the final three Grands Prix. So it would be nice as much as it's going to be an absolute anticlimax from almost on par with 2017 from space of about, what, three or four races. Italy last year was Singapore through to, what was it, Mexico. We're talking a time frame of four events from being in the balance to all over with multiple races in hand. We just want to see... Really, Hamilton get crowned and then everyone can put a definitive line under it and for what it is the last three races there um, as it is been as we've already discussed off the air we do as as passionate as we are F1 fans feel very much like we're marking time at this point well it's very hard like even for especially when you consider the time zone differences as well now we've got really odd hours coming up for the next few races four or five o'clock in the morning so you know getting up and not having a championship there to watch it's it is kind of as you say yeah very difficult but you know that's nothing to discredit the job that Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes have done this season especially in the back half of the season again where Ferrari sort of had their self implosion and Mercedes who were sort of I guess 
backed into a bit of a corner this year, a bit of a foreign position for them. They've still um, come out top. So, you know, Constructors' Championship and Drivers' Championship, it looks like they'll um, lock up. So, yeah, that's that, I guess, for Mercedes and Hamilton. That could be done this weekend. But Sebastian Vettel, the only other winner in Austin back in 2013. And you almost think, like, you know... Another win this season is not really going to give him much much consolation, you know. Like the championship's gone. It's that was the ultimate prize, winning a race. You know, I guess there will be some kind of satisfaction in it, like when he said one in Brazil last year, for example. But you know, it's not going to do anything for them as far as the championship is concerned. So little consolation and. Given the state the team that have been in the last few races, it's really hard to see them even having that motivation to want to even win. You can imagine a victory would be good for the morale of personnel there, but materially uh, it's all academic at this stage and you wouldn't blame them for having switched full resources towards 2019. It's at a stage where they've got to cut those losses as painful as it is to see it slip through the the grasp so familiarly to 2017, but you, you do hope for what it is that... Next year, they've figured out a way to stay in the battle for the duration. That's the only thing they, they can continue to have any hope with. And, and whatever else happens, um, really, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Mercedes just continues to wipe the floor for the remaining races. Well, you know, Mercedes to wipe the floor, but also you might have to ask the question, uh, does Red Bull have more chance of winning a race than Ferrari now? We keep talking about Mexico being an opportunity for Red Bull. So, you know, it's like, well, if they were able to win one or two races before the season goes out and Ferrari are unable to win, then it just goes to show you how far they've dropped off from having you know in Hungary Belgium having the best car on the grid to all of a sudden wow they're they're just wiped off the the face of the earth almost so you know the last couple of races it's just been lackluster the performances and even in qualifying as well they've not been near the front and Japan sorry was um I guess to use it's hard not to use the word pathetic that yeah qualifying the shambles that they had with the tyre strategy muck up and then in the race Seb making a couple of mistakes. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Red Bull are ahead of him as well for the remainder of the season. Just encapsulates that off-track divide that they've had really. It's probably been simmering for a couple of years, but as we've mentioned many times since his passing, Sergio Marchione was the glue there, much like John Todd would have been back in a previous era, keeping the politics aside, and now it's all come to roost, and and those factions which have been mentioned, they're they're all making their plays, separate ideologies, and that's got to be dealt with very swiftly, if not before the end of this season, so they've got clear minds, blank canvas for 2019, because uh, it won't take long, as as we've seen, momentum (laughs) shifts very quickly, and it's happened yet again, like last season. almost overnight, like a a switch going off from looking really very, very dominant, not taking their chances. And then this year, they had so many of them, and we saw what's gone on ever since we've come back from the break, and they've been made to pay in a hell of a way. And Mercedes always look like that they're never going to go backwards. Like, we saw them start off the season perhaps on the back foot to Ferrari, but they've just developed their way back to the front, and that just goes to show you how 
great of a team they are that they can do that. So it's not like, you know, they're not caught in the whole Red Bull or Renault um, area where they're sort of just stuck with, they can't develop their way up through the season. Mercedes, you know, I guess since the 2017 rule change um, came about, they did have their advantage sort of neutered a little bit, but still they're able to adapt and overcome those challenges. And yeah, here we go. They're back on top, um, despite the fact Ferrari were there only, what, five or six races ago. So, um, and given that, you know, does Mercedes also give Bottas a chance now to um, win a race this season, given that Hamilton can just cruise, I guess, if he doesn't for the, if they're going to not put us out of our misery and decide to let Hamilton finish second for every single race or whatever and Seb third, then yeah, you know, give Bottas a win as well if they can. You can definitely see it happening once it's mathematically secure. Um, probably both titles there as it is. Mercedes can wrap up almost the constructors by, um, certainly not if not this weekend, then by Mexico, even though it was going to the wire itself a lot closer, certainly than previous seasons. But the, the swing more or less against Vettel in recent times has meant it's been a one-horse race there. So you'd think for, for what he's done, Bottas in that enforced wingman role the least they could do is give him a chance if not a uh, hand him a victory when he's legitimately racing and deserving to win and indeed outperforming Hamilton as he's done several times well, like going and sabotaging him well like in Russia where he actually qualified on pole position and was in control um, up until the pit stops and everything but I just thought of this really undesirable statistic as well if Bottas doesn't win a race this year, then this will be the first time since 2012 that um, the second driver or the other driver at Mercedes hasn't won a race. So since 2013, both Mercedes drivers have won races throughout the season. So going back to 2012, when uh, Michael Schumacher was unfortunate <laughs> to not win a race, mm. when Nico Rosberg won a couple that season. So, oh, sorry, just the one in, in China. Um, yeah, that's not a stat that Bottas wants on his name, especially in a team that's won the Constructors' Championship. Well, Constructors and the drivers, it's not too frequently you see the, the team with the winning driver, that second driver, not at least picking up a, you wouldn't call it a consolation victory, but any victory at all. And again, Bottas hasn't been without his chances, and almost every time when he's been in that position, something external has denied him. And the last time, 2013, that you saw a champion there with with their teammate not get a, a breakthrough and then you, you really got to go back through the years almost to I believe 2001 something like that so it's very rare that you see um, both drivers from that championship team not getting a breakthrough for, for what it counts but for Bottas uh, more than the fact that he knows he can do it he'll take a lot of confidence if he's just given a chance to actually get back on the top step and and who knows where you'll be at for, for 2019 because as we mentioned last week if it's not coming from Ferrari you would hope that Bottas has some resilience there to make a fist of it himself and we return much as Mercedes might dread the thought to an intra-team rivalry well yeah otherwise you know as we talked about last week having a one-horse race for the championship um yeah it's going to be we're finding it difficult for the last four races of the season, right? Imagine 21 races next year where we have to just 
put up with that. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting what happens um, for the remainder of the season. And, yeah, a win for Bottas will be important for next year as well to get that confidence. And that's what we thought when he won in Abu Dhabi last year, his third win of the year, that he'd be riding high on that confidence. But then, yeah, just all the issues this year that he's had, all the bad luck, it's just, yeah, really taken away from what could have been a better spectacle to see two Mercedes drivers versus uh, Ferrari and Sebastian. Sebastian Vettel, so we'll, I guess, leave it at that and move it on. Um, Haas, their home race, uh, looking to better Renault, um, who've had their troubles, I guess, in recent races, so um, yeah, they're not too far behind in the Constructors' Championship, and Haas, you know, finishing fourth, if they could, ahead of Renault, that would be quite significant, but Renault, we know they can develop their way out of problems and uh yeah it's just about who's going to score those points and Roman Grosjean for Haas has been really good lately and I guess that in a way justifies why he's hanging around for another year alongside Kevin Magnussen so those guys finally coming on song you can say um where earlier on in the season yeah it almost seemed like it was just one person doing all the work it's been fascinating the way Renault almost since uh, they announced Daniel Ricciardo would be joining them for, for next season. They've stagnated a little and, and oh, probably reflective of the season where they've produced results but in fairly anonymous fashion, whereas Haas, though, were notionally a one-team operation for the first half, at least up till Austria when Grosjean had that breakthrough and, and really he's uh, re-found that um, consistency, you could say, in recent races to the point where he's outshining Magnus and more often than not, and that's the incentive both drivers need to bounce off each other and the momentum they'll harvest from that for 2019. You hope if they can produce that over the course of a season, they might be capable of making that jump up to being legitimately a challenger for third or fourth in the constructors, and it's just good to see along with those midfielders like a Sauber who have had a huge development curve since they were lining up on the back row of the grid at Australia, that it's fairly unpredictable where teams might end up top of the midfield. They end the year really just um, running on fumes. Yeah, exactly. So between those guys, it's been really good. And Sauber, a lot to look forward to, as we've already talked about, for next year with their all-new driver lineup, Giovinazzi and Kimi Raikkonen as well. What will um, those guys bring to that team? And you were saying a couple of weeks ago, it wouldn't be surprised if they were genuinely um, back to that 2012 sort of competitive um, state where, yeah, they were picking up the odd podium here and there. To... I think so. Over that year, they were, or at least Perez was a master of the, the fickle rubber Pirelli produced for that season on request. And if there's anything like that for the changes to those compounds, that simplification, which has been touted for next year, who knows what the lines might be. But if they continue that curve, then it's tantalising to see them with Kimi Raikkonen in its mist amidst once again that he might have a chance of still being competitive even though he's out of Ferrari and as for the rest you hope Daniel Ricciardo can propel Renault and bring the best out as well in and Nico Hulkenberg so there's a lot it's hard not to get carried away ultimately that's the point I think we're, we're getting at here there's so much to discuss about 2019 <laughs> this has fizzled out so pathetically yeah well we'll bring it back to the present and whatnot, I guess, um, Force India too in the Constructors' Championship have it all to play for for sixth. Um, they're 15 points behind McLaren at the moment and given McLaren's dismal state, you know, it wouldn't be surprising if Force India were to overturn that and given that they've only had half a season to recoup all those points that they lost when they 
had to change um, identities or whatever um, to do that it it's pretty incredible that yeah they're able to come back and then finish sixth in the constructors championship yeah, well, sixth and almost on points. I'll be at a stage where they would have the points to accumulate what would have been fourth as it is from half the season. So they can hold their heads high regardless, fourth or sixth. They'll know that on, on merit, they were yet again that um, best team in the midfield. And hopefully moving forward, they've just got none of that instability off the circuit to, to be able to move forward. Yeah, exactly. So that'll be great to see. And of course... We're expecting ahead of the Mexican Grand Prix next week that um, the announcement will be made about their driver lineup, Sergio Perez and Lance Stroll. So, um, yeah, that's another thing to, I guess, finally uh, nip in the bud because, yeah, ever since uh, Stroll Senior invested in the team, we thought that the team would announce that their driver straight away. But, yeah, I guess they're saving it for Mexico with uh, Sergio Perez's backers and everything um, to be on hand for that. Yes, I think that around the next week it seems like it'll be unveiled, a lot of those uh, retentions, and it seems fairly um, linear at this stage, especially after the the last week. Some movements we'll get into soon, and, and the idea, the identity of certainly those remaining few seats at, at Toro Rosso and, and Williams, you'd hope that we would probably have a final picture on that by the end of this month yeah exactly the two seats that are remaining and i guess quickly to wrap up the austin preview um seventh in the drivers championship separated by only four points too so checo alonso magnuson and ocon um three of those guys are actually on the same point 53 points apiece so yeah that's going to be quite interesting as well and again those two four senior drivers and Magnuson, you think, would be the ones to get the upper hand, but Alonso too, four races to go in his career. Um, in Formula One, you'd expect him to want to go out, not in a plume of smoke, but actually get some results on the board. Shame on F1. Shame on F1, and also says that every single race to him is like a farewell tour, basically. So Of course, we're all sitting here worshipping him like the Dalai Lama about the great many things he's brought to the the sport and and nothing to do with anything that mightn't be too savoury you could say certainly been a polarising character we will miss him but it's not as though we're losing the current reigning world champion we're not losing Hamilton so he does have some illusions of grandeur or delusions (laughs) dare we say yeah Oh, well, yeah, just, I guess, that character, that enigma, it'll be sad not to have that on the grid next year. So, yeah, um, a lot to play out for this weekend, and hopefully, for everyone's sakes, we do see uh, Lewis Hamilton wrap things up, and that'll be that for 2018. So, straight into the Digest, then, and yeah, as you said, there's quite a bit of uh, things going on at them, but quite a lot of things going on at the moment, and we had the 2019 calendar confirmed, and also the rule changes and as well for next year, so 21 races with less emphasis on back-to-backs, so given that this year we've had even a triple header, and like every other weekend we've had double headers, there's not many next year, it's a lot more spread out, so for the first eight races, it's spread across um, they're all with two-week intervals, so, you know, rather than twinning Australia with Bahrain, for example, there's a two-week gap between them. A lot of people have expressed their disappointment about why haven't they twinned those races, but when you think about it, um, I guess having it more spread out is probably less uh, straining on the teams. It does seem as though they're trying to hype up that 
thousandth Grand Prix, which will come at China. It's given its own little breathing space of a fortnight, so it's not just rolled over from any kind of doubleheader with Bahrain as it's been the case in the past. And you can probably see as much as it might be a logical shifting between continents um, rather than just continuing on that pathway. They're just trying to give, aside from China being the thousandth race, probably each event can have its own build-up. And maybe by starting the year a week earlier, as we see for Australia and ending, indeed, that final Grand Prix in Abu Dhabi into December now. So that'll be a bit of a rare site you could say that it's not a bad thing they'll just um, adapt to it and there's all that talk this year that they had the triple header and the burnout so it's probably swung back the other way and for what it is I think that the all the teams and personnel will, will benefit from having a bit of extra breathing space most weekends yeah exactly and really good as well that we've got um, the Australian Grand Prix a week earlier too um, if not for the weather and also the daylight and whatnot to Germany on the calendar too, which is great. So first time in, since 2013 we've had back-to-back German Grand Prix and also at Hockenheim too. So, yeah, that's been really good to see. Um, but, yeah, some of the rule changes, of course. Yeah, the front wing changes for next year as well, they'll be implemented. Also, on the rear wing, we're going to have uh, those tail lights for the rain as well, tail brake lights. So that'll be interesting to see how... They come apart like they... It'll be like the 2020 Zinger Bales just lighting up every time they're under braking. Yeah, uh, like they have in cricket there. And also, yeah, a couple of Halo-related changes as well, mirrors and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, quite a bit confirmed. And, yeah, it's going to be pretty big next year. I mean, as much as we thought it would be a minor change with the front wings, it's going to be quite significant when you look at the, the cars next year and whether it'll cause a bit of a shake-up, you know, not particularly at the front, but maybe in the midfield, some of those uh, teams might be able to take an advantage there. It'll be interesting to see how that comes uh, to fruition. Well, one can hope as probably the ground level of what's to come from 2021 uh, at least gives them that idea that it's moving in the right direction aerodynamically, just facilitating more overtaking, and there is some scepticism from a few... Uh, notable people who like to um, be sceptical, you could say, in the, the midst of the F1 media. They like to deride every innovation and they've got to give something a, a go here, maybe that's not going to be artificial like DRS or, or whatnot. So you would hope that this gets some momentum going and, and then in the bigger picture they've got two more years to finally nut out whatever they'll settle on for 2021 because that's been in the wings for probably 18 months now and we're still no closer to any finalization yeah exactly we were supposed to have that back in april or may weren't we so uh, or june so something like that so yeah now it's just like well the hype is really gone we don't really yeah we'll just wait and see until it comes so moving it on um this was announced last week but we didn't get a chance to talk about it really um the w series to launch next year as an undercard to dtm so Bernie Eccleston was the first one who talked about an all-female single-seater category back way back when, and we are not not that it's his innovation this, but yeah, we're getting a female-only single-seater character uh, category as an undercard to the DTM. Um, I guess its objective, as it's been outlined, is to to aid in the progression of female drivers in uh, at the highest level of motorsport. So not 
may make not saying that it's like F one for women, but it is another pathway for those uh, drivers who sort of get stuck in those lower categories, like GP three, for example, or F three, that can't make it to an F two or ultimately towards F one. So very polarizing. This a lot of people have had their say in regards to it. Um, what are we? What are our thoughts on that? It's either going to go the way of the the Dodo and A1 GP or it's going to find its little niche and earn its own recognition rather than being a a token series just just for the sake of cashing in. I guess in this age, all the talk about social inclusion, but you hope that these drivers here who who clearly merit their own drives in in whichever category it might be aren't just pigeonholed in this and this is the essentially the roof of where they can get to and there's some kind of pathway that it can lead on from if if they're shown to to have what it takes that it does lead into a, a crack in maybe what is it f2 and then f1 one day since there hasn't really been anything in past few decades and kudos to the investors here for getting behind it but it's certainly going to be one of those categories which could go one way or another very quickly well as long as yeah as you say that it actually does what it outlines and it helps in um helping those careers progress um of the young female drivers so if that's the case then yes it'll be good but yeah if it's just a token thing then yeah it's it's not what we want basically because motorsport's not like football or any other or cricket for example where it has to be like one gender basically you can have you know we see it in supercars we see it in um in a lot of american series obviously danica patrick in nascar but also um you look at imsa and the sports car racing over there as well you've got several female drivers so um, competing alongside the males so yeah it's basically it's an inclusivity most sport is inclusive and um, anyone can do it but it's just yeah those drivers unfortunately on the pathway to f1 get stuck in those lower categories and don't really get that uh, coaching or development that they really need and pippa man was quite vocal in her criticism against it believing that it's, it's really it's almost making too big of a, a point of some limitations that might be perceived and when they already achieve in their own right she's already done many things on the IndyCar scene that it's almost demeaning in a regard and you can only hope that this is well thought out in terms of what it can offer and that as a DTM undercard that it does exist there with its own kind of popularity rather than just being essentially tacked on as a means of having another support event with that triviality that they happen to be female drivers yeah exactly so i guess enough about that anyway and yeah we're not gonna we'll see i guess when it actually kicks off next year how what the outcome is for it so back to um silly season and f1 uh so we had the confirmation last week as well that George Russell will be making his debut next year for Williams, so a multi-year deal for young Russell, so that's a good bit of security for him, and good for Williams too, I guess, British driver, British team, and yeah, soon to be F2 world champion as well, given we've only got the one round to go in Abu Dhabi, so yeah, that'll be a nice way for him to, to cap off the season. But, um, yeah, it would be nice to potentially see three of the title contenders in F2 this year in F1 next year. We've got Lando Norris, George Russell now confirmed, and the talk now about Alexander Albon potentially lining up at Toro Rosso. We sort of 
raised it way back when um, in the middle of the year where, you know, thought of it as a as a possibility that it was announced that he's off to Formula E, but that deal could be sort of bought out or the contract could be bought out by Red Bull to put um, Albon alongside uh, Kvyat at Toro Rosso. So, yeah, you know, that'd be really great to see if we could get Albon into F1. Albon's decided he would also like his F1 career skewered the, the Marco way and hopefully it's not a case of 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 when, but if and he can defy that trend of being someone cast aside years ago and despite their perfectly good record when they've become independent of that Red Bull empire, that they, they get that uh, reprival such as Brendan Hartley and now for a second or third time with Danny Kofia that they seize it and really make them realise what they've been missing out on. And really, you do look at what Albon's achieved in F2 and you've almost got to say he's the most impressive of the lot that are already um, confirmed for a, a debut next season in Russell and Norris. So if he does get that opportunity, it's pretty tantalising to think if, if he can deliver and the other two with whatever they've got at their disposal, but not that it looks great for now, but at least they're getting that opportunity and you can only hope that they're not wasted. Yeah, exactly. And the battles that they've had this year in F2 will continue as well. So yeah, we're just waiting now for that confirmation. And then I guess that just leaves... One seat at Williams left alongside Russell. So we want it to be, I guess, our Ocon. So he's on the grid next year. But, you know, could it be Robert Kubitzer has talked about or Sergei Sorotkin if the money's still there? I mean, yeah. It seems likelier to be the previous two. And as much as you want Ocon to remain on the grid, uh, Kubitzer wouldn't be a bad alternative. But we do prefer to see the next generation be given that opportunity yeah and it would be good for Williams too if they've actually looking at making some uh, inroads next year with two young drivers as well well not, not that they don't already have two young drivers on hand but like uh, with uh, you know two talented drivers in Russell and in Ocon as well and for Ocon I guess some team building skills too so yeah if he's going to be the future of Mercedes um, in a few years time then it'd be nice for him to step into the Williams, even though it is a bit of a backward step from Force India, but just to to do some character building and get his head around, you know, developing a team and a car. And who knows, out of these three, they might be joined by another talent in the next 12 to 24 months there, we say, a very familiar name who sealed the deal in F3 over the weekend, and that one was a bolt from the blue. Yeah, Mick Schumacher, first open wheel title for him. So 30 races this year they had in the season. He won eight of those. And yeah, at Hockenheim, he I think finished second in both races. But yeah, it was enough for him to seal the deal. Uh, Dan Tickton left, <laughs> like <laughs> left a little sour. But uh, I guess, yeah, it's just been that breakout year for Mick Schumacher. And then, yeah, you'd reckon next year F2, as we keep saying, will be on the cards for him. And then, yeah, you know, who knows, a couple of years there. And I all along predicted 2021 will be the year we see another Schumacher take the F1 grid. It'd be nice. It'd be close to 30 years since his father... Um, entered the field that fateful weekend at Belgium in 1991 and, and who knows it could yet be 2020 if he takes F2 by storm and who knows stranger things have happened we mentioned a while back imagine if he ended up being paired somehow with Kimi Raikkonen at Salva that would be 
rather ironic. So you can see <laughs> it. He's got big things in the pipeline, and he's come on very strongly since that mid-season when people said he he was passable, serviceable, but he didn't look like being the latest and greatest. And something clicked since he had that breakthrough victory, and he just seems like he, he's got that confidence now, which he, he needed to know that he belongs. Yeah, and, you know, I guess it's just it's hard not to draw parallels, I guess, with his father too, given that his first race win in F3 was in Belgium, which, you know, was the scene of his father's, some of his great successes in the past. And then even just watching an interview with him um, the other day, how, you know, just the look and even his voice as well is almost reminiscent of Michael's a little bit, which is a bit um, freaky. But yeah, it's just like, wow, you know, he looks and sounds so much like uh, Michael Schumacher. It's just... It's incredible, and yeah, it's hard not to get behind this story, I guess, um, given you know the circumstances for Michael himself, how we don't know really what's going on with him. Um, that yeah, you know that we've got a second genera, another great second generation talent, which you know, you know we've seen Rosberg become the, we've seen Rosberg, we've seen Hill, um, those names both win championships, father and son. So yeah, I'd like to see Schumacher also put that in the history books that yeah father and son um have both won championships and he seems to have a mature head he, he knows that he has that potential to walk straight through the door like Lance Stroll and Max Verstappen did from a, a junior category and bypass an F2 or GP2 whatever it was at their respective times but you can you can tell that he's appreciative um of what he needs to do to to round himself out and you'd hope Liberty and all of those prospective employees in the future can see that if time can be invested into him, he'll be the complete package in another year or two and he's capable of, of great things. And Liberty will be really frothing at the mouth, you would think, of the prospect of utilising him as a, as a marketing tool. Yeah, to have a son of a legend basically on the grid there. But yeah, we've both of us have said all along that, yeah, you know, despite Stroll and Verstappen for Schumacher it would be better off that he works his way up and doesn't come in uh, half-baked or whatever like and um, yeah have his career go awry like you know um, it has for so many other drivers so yeah it'd be good to to see him in F2 for at least you know I guess at least one year but you know I wouldn't be surprised if it's two years before we see him move up to F1. If he forces the issue and he wins F2, they mightn't have much choice. Otherwise, he'll he'll end up being out of a job with those intricacies of the, of the, the lower formula there. Just like George Russell, there was a bit of talk he'd be shipped off to super formula. You would hope that instead the team will come to their senses and think they can come straight in and dominate from the outset. Then there's something going on that's, that's right for Formula One. Yeah, exactly. So... We just look forward to it, I guess, and uh, moving it on then. Absolutely. I guess uh, it's just a it's a nice feeling, aside from Schumacher, to see this next crop coming through and you hope that with um, Charles Leclerc already making that jump to Ferrari for next year that there can be a transition from Hamilton and, dare we say, Vettel if he ever gets back to those heights again, there, there will be uh, replacements ready to go. Yeah, exactly. So I guess that wraps it up for F1. Let's go into supercars because there's plenty to talk about with their calendar for next year coming out as well and some uh, changes, I guess, as far as what the future holds. Um, apologies. 
just give us a final round of the Enduro Cup um, this weekend. So, And also, it's the last uh, ever Gold Coast 600 too, as we know it. Because, yeah, from next year, uh, it'll be the Gold Coast 500. So, we'll talk about no, that. No, no, the Gold Coast 500,000. 500,000, yes. So, we're having a super Enduro on the streets of Gold Coast. So, yeah, it's like a whole week-long uh, race, basically. And, yeah, there'll be like 100,000 driver changes, blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, so... As part of the shake-up for the calendar next year with the eye on towards a shift to a summer series, actually, for 2020, um, they've cut 16 events down to 15 with um, Sydney Motorsport Park off the calendar, just temporarily because they want to have that as one of the races in the summer series early on um, in January, for example. So, um, yeah, what do we think, you know, about the shake-up for the Enduro? So it'll start Bathurst, then Gold Coast 500, and then end with Sandown next year. Sandown 500 still stays the same. So it's a single 500k race now to be in line with Sandown. So 500k Gold Coast race, um, only on the one day rather than splitting it over two days. So, yeah, what are we thoughts? And then ultimately looking at the bigger picture for the summer series ahead. Well, certainly it puts the onus on... Bathurst, when you've got those co-drivers, who might be a tad rusty unless they've been in the um, the Dunlop Super 2 series, um, then they haven't got that breeding ground at Sandown to get their head heads back into the, the game. So it's going to be a bit foreign in, in that regard. But at the same time, it does mean that if you have a poor one at Bathurst, you have got time within the Enduro Cup to, to get the results back together at Sandown and, and Gold Coast. And, and Sandown now concluding that little... Um, chapter of the championship and only the penultimate round of the the season it's going to have a bit of a, a different feel so whether it changes the the mindset when it comes to those individual full timers where they're looking in the championship equation they might just have to play their, their cards a little bit differently coming out of Bathurst with still multiple races in the Enduro Cup but looking at that bigger picture yeah exactly and November stand down as well Yes, it's certainly coming into summertime. You could say it'll be a bit different when it is in September um, for so many years, coinciding with the AFL finals and still a bit on the, the chilly side. So people there, I guess, in their in their shirts and shorts, it'll be a bit of a carnival feeling and you hope they get behind it and whether the event there's got um, a future beyond next year, all that talk about whether it will be renewed you'd hope this might give it some momentum when you couple it with that retro round which it's adopted in recent times yeah exactly so sand down its future up in the air but it's good to see that we'll because there was that threat that we might actually lose winton and philip island off the calendar too for next year but they're hanging around and i guess talking about um the summer series and sean seamer saying that um Sorry, just got some phlegm. <sighs> All right. Sorry, Sean Seba talking about how it's better for rounds like Tasmania for Ad Winton and Phillip Island, which traditionally come in those colder April, May type months where rain affects them. But now it's going to be a lot more inviting. There should be a lot more fans who can make it out to the races with the better weather. So. Yeah, hopefully it isn't too hot, obviously, for racing. As we know, in summer, it can get to, like, 40 degrees and whatnot. But, yeah, it's going to be one to look out for to have motorsport during the summertime, too. Because, obviously, yeah, with F1 and 
everything else on during the middle of the year um, or throughout and what is our winter having some racing on in the summertime will be a nice accompaniment to the cricket as well I'll be on a steep learning curve and coming up instead of uh, the football codes and, and everything else and the, the motoring sphere, whether it's locally or internationally, then they've got the, the BBL perhaps to consider as a, as a prime competitor. So it's going to have a, a different dynamic there and whether people have the full attention if they've already got plans to be to be occupied in those summer months. But as far as making it its own little niche um you can see that there's room for it to to move and and you'd hope that at least as far as coming into the future contract negotiations it'll be something they've got to trial really for that 2020 so they can move forward with all that talk as well with the the manufacturers for the future that it's something exciting and and you'd you'd hope they try and at least give it a, a year or so to make it work yeah, exactly. So enough about that, though. Let's talk about the present. And, of course, um, Gold Coast, uh, the two races, of course, 300k races. And also we've got two shootouts as well. So for each race, they've got two... Uh, uh, sorry, for each race this time, they've got top 10 shootouts, which is quite crucial, I guess. Um, Lowndes and Richards, after their Bathurst win, lead the Enduro Cup from... Uh, sorry, Shane Van Gisbergen and Earl Bamba. But I guess for the likes of Van Gisbergen and Scott McLaughlin, it's going to be about the championship now, given that there's only two more rounds after the Gold Coast 600. And it's such a crucial round because it's a high-risk event. And um, the championship being in mind, you know, they don't want to suffer a crash and be ruled out, I guess, and score zero points. And both Van Gisbergen and McLaughlin are specialists of this circuit. You could say Van Gisbergen loves the street tracks. McLaughlin, he won here last year with Prema. So battling it out for those surfboards as everyone likes them. So, yeah, it's going to be all on the line, you got to say. And whoever, one of those... Sorry, those guys, they've got to have to score at least a win here to get that advantage in the championship. You'd imagine from Triple Eight's perspective, the way they've had that momentum, they'd be willing to be a little bit more conservative knowing they've got pace across each circuit and then they've had a pretty good history moving forward to Pukukoi, so they'll be able to to take their chances a bit in the regard of, of coming home with a minor placing, whereas for um, DJRTP, as much as they got that breakthrough podium for McLaughlin and co at Bathurst, they've really got to get a victory soon just to shore up that title momentum that seemed to be going so firmly in their favour until around Taylor Bend, and it seems like it's just been triple eight um, all the way since that moment. So you'd think that um, they'd just be looking to stay clear of, of the carnage more than anything and, and just make sure with that narrow gap in the, the points that they can come out the other side for those final two rounds where they've probably got just the chance just to take a sprint race as Fukukoa is. You tend to see the um, cream rise to the top and Gisberg and McLaughlin, both of those, are going to be pretty hard to beat on home soil. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. Um, with the shift back to, I guess, the being the single driver races, you know, the co-drivers, it's going to be all on them as well this weekend. And Alabama is going to be doing Porsche Carrera Cup just so he can actually get his head around the circuit too. So important for him. Prem has been really strong here in the past. And going back to the days, 
his reckless days at the Volvo, he was quite um, aggressive with the curbs and also the walls. But uh, yeah, he's really honed in um, these days around the Gold Coast. So expect him to be fast for McLaughlin. Yes, I think that um, <coughs> see some drivers like to take their chances a little bit more here and they put it on the line and they often get away with it. But there's always someone who seems to pay a price early on and it'd be a shame if it's someone like a Dave Reynolds, for instance, after that heartbreak they did have a fortnight ago, you'd think they'd be able to have licked their wounds and come back and, and prove that they've still got a very good package there. Yeah, he's been quite strong here, of course, as well in the past. Remember when he was in the Bottolo car at Tickford that he won... Sorry, he didn't... Yeah, he did win one year and was on the podium with Dean Canto, so they had the surfboard celebrations and everything as well. And even the Erebus car last year, they were on the podium here, so expect them to be quite strong, he and Yildon. Um, and then the Walkinshaw cars too really love Gold Coast as well, so especially James Courtney, Jack Perkins, who Courtney, I don't think he's had a podium this year, or he might have early on in, uh, in Adelaide. But yeah, you know... Jack Perkins, his only win in supercars came here with Courtney a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I wouldn't rule those guys out either. And, of course, Scott Pye and Warren Luff. Not Courtney after Perkins clearly sabotaged him at Bathurst, putting all the blame on his co-driver for for whatever he did wrong, even though it was pretty much just a terminal mechanical issue. You'd hope those two have patched up the differences and can get a a job done here. And and you'd think that... uh, they're always specialists at the street circuits, but um, you'd hope it's just part of the continued momentum building towards having more of, a, of an all-round package for, for next year. And uh, Michael Andretti seems quite bullish that they'll be close to full-time contenders in the coming 12 months. Yeah, say that they could be the Triple Eight beaters or whatever so yeah but i i wouldn't put it past them they're such a they're such a good team they've been like that in the past i guess the last few years have been pretty tumultuous for them but now that they've got that stability they've got that backing from andretti and from united and also the uh investment in development as well it wouldn't be surprising if yeah we do see them slowly coming back to the top it'd just be good to see a bit more variety yet again Exactly. So, yeah, a lot to look forward to with Gold Coast, certainly, this weekend. Not so much as F1, but I guess, yeah, we've already discussed that with you. And just to wrap up, I guess, our sporting moments of the week as well. So, yeah, we already talked about your marathon at the start. I guess uh, not much else going on. But, yeah, good to see you survive another one and, um, yeah, get a well-earned break for the rest of the year, I guess, as far as the running's concerned. Yes, not too much on the horizon for... The rest of this year, probably just take it a bit slower and then gear up for a, a big 2019, but plenty of accomplishments on a, a smaller scale and there'll be plenty of, of challenges to come, probably on a uh, sporting moment of the week front, even though it's been very quiet in the motoring terms and as much as it did come really out of, not left field, didn't think it would happen the next uh, 12 months at least, was seeing Dane Beams return to Collingwood. It's certainly a feel-good story for for those who remember the way he departed four years ago and clearly those sentimental reasons, even though they might have been controversial at the, the time, he's clearly been passionate about the club in that intervening time and now he's back and he hopefully is uh, one of the final pieces in that puzzle for Collingwood alongside a full 
healthy roster from the outset, whereas this year they, they had to go up against the wall and somehow they still made that grand final. But if they have a full clean list and beam slots into that midfield, um, very enticing prospect for Collingwood in 2019. Yeah, so a lot to look forward to. And, you know, could the flag be on the horizon then for next year with that full-strength team, as you'd wonder? So, yeah, um, hard, as you were saying off-air before, it almost seems like now with the trade period over that, yeah, footy's well and truly done for the season. Yes, and we enter the cricket, even though it's not looking too great from an Australian perspective at this early stage. Not at all. We'll talk about it next week anyway when the test match is over. So, yeah, thanks for tuning in today. We'll be back to wrap up Austin next week and the Gold Coast. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Till then.